the Jesus Christ superstar, Mr. Travis Croft. How are you, sir? I am fine and dandy, and the superstar mm-hmm. comment is appreciated if perhaps a little bit exaggerated. Oh, you are a superstar, at least to me. If yeah, nobody the, else. Uh, the Russian bots who download this show. Well, we <laughs> lost the Russian bots. We've now got one random Indian bot. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. you know, I'm happy to... Um, I'm happy to accept, uh, you know, nefarious state actors wherever they come from. Absolutely. Um, you know, Iran, China, North Korea, we aren't fussy. You know what? Well, might as well call it out now. We haven't heard much from two of our biggest supporters in a while, Donald Trump and Kurt Cameron. Yeah, they've, well, they've, had, quite. they've had other things in their mind, I think. Oh, please, election. <laughs> it was it was all, all fixed anyway, so, you know. Where was the effort needed? <laughs> yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it was a very clever fix, right? They mm-hmm. fixed the presidential election, but not the Senate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they, they really um, spent some time working out how can we make this not look like a hoax whilst actually being a hoax. <laughs> it's, it's next level shit. Um, oh, yeah. That's the, uh, the genius of the, uh, the uh, American left, of which there is none. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I do enjoy it. Uh, seeing Americans on Facebook go, hey, socialism! <laughs> you are an American. You wouldn't know what socialism was if you tripped over it. Yep. <laughs> Whereas, yeah, the American version of a socialist, Bernie Sanders, would be in the absolute centre of Australian politics, you know, like yeah. he would not be remotely controversial um, what he uh, said or believed in. Um, but yeah. it's, it's kind of a big deal. And he actually has called himself a socialist, so... Um, you know, anyone to the left of Attila the Hun is a socialist in the United States these days. <laughs> um, we, we, we are the political podcast, but we, we do have friends in high places, I think it's fair to say. Of course, of course, yes. None higher than Jeebus, of course. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this is a bit of a monumental show for us. Not only is it episode 90, but... We talked, uh, we are continuing our chain movie session from last week where we talked about Star Trek The Undiscovered Country, a bit of a lost Cold War inspired classic of the Star Trek verse. We follow Christopher Plummer into a rather unusual Spike Lee joint of The Inside Man. But the thing that we will be talking about that is a bit revelatory, shall we say, is Travis and I both returned to the cinema after about eight months or something like that to watch Christopher Nolan's latest movie, Tenet. And we will have uh, some interesting uh, thoughts and feelings on that one. But before we get to that, we are going to talk about our chain movie session because we do have some kind of flow in this show, ladies and gentlemen. And that is me using the phrase, ladies and gentlemen, far too much. We, 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 isn't, <laughs> very, isn't an especially inclusive term? We should work on that. Mm. Ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages. And undecided. Mm-hmm. Undecided, unconfirmed, all of the above. We're going to go into inside. The word fellow travellers. Good mm-hmm. evening, fellow travellers. That's an inclusive term. Uh, what about if they're stay-at-home people, man? I mean, you, you travel somewhere, right? Even if it's just to the kitchen. Mm. Greetings, all perambulators. There we go. <laughs> Greetings, inhabitants of a planet Earth. <laughs> I don't identify as human. <laughs> no, no, I said inhabitant. <laughs> um, You're clever. Yes, yes we are going to talk about Inside Man. 
Now, I picked this one, and, and um, mm. I, I watched this the other night, and uh, you noted I, I posted on Facebook a bit of a conversation thread with people who, who mm. follow me around um, what their favourite heist movie was, and I got some very good suggestions in there. Mm -hmm. because I was going to say, is this a heist movie? It's kind of a heist movie. It's a yeah. bank robbery movie, but it's not really a traditional bank robbery movie. It's it's really hard to kind of identify because it's got the guise of um, a bank robbery heist scenario, but that's really not what it's about. It's I was trying to explain it to one of the people at work today, and it's it's not really about anything other than people in New York coming together and having interesting dialogue and just almost like a twenty four hours in their life kind of scenario with well fleshed out backstories for each of them and it's sort of like mm, the situation that they find themselves coming together in is kind of inconsequential it's all facade it's all make-believe to just get to other points it's it's set dressing it's really there is, actually, there is a robbery that does take place true it's not a traditional kind of bank robbery i would um i would say this is a very loosely a heist film yeah. Um, though, and I would say it's also a bank robbery film. But I think bank robbery films aren't always heist films. But true, uh, I think this one passes for a heist film, and it made it mm. a little easier. But it reminded me, uh, probably the, the most familiar, um, and maybe you can help me here. It reminded me of a um, a, a British film, uh, the Bank Job, I think it was, with Jason Statham. Yeah, oh, yes. Which is not, which is also a bank robbery film, but it's more mm. about rather than going in, hey, like. Give me all your money. Yeah, um, it's more like they uh, into cracking into a bank to steal a specific, you know, mm. non-monetary thing. Mm. I, for me, whenever I hear the the word heist, I always think of something um, layered to the plan. It's not is never just a bank robbery or anything like that. Like, um, I I would probably say that Heat is more of a bank robbery movie than a heist movie is mm. because they are literally just going in to steal money they are not using it as a cover to get to bearer bonds or something in a safe deposit box or to actually gain access to some government building or anything like that um i always feel like the heist movie it's it's almost like a whodunit and whodunit and why but with with a scenario rather than a murder. It's, uh, it's, it's an interesting film is when you're right. It's not mm. as much of a bank robbery film as a film like heist. I would say it maybe has more in common with a film like, dare I say, Pulp Fiction um, in the sense it does mm -hmm. kind of jump around a little bit in, yeah. its, in its timeline, a little bit, not quite anywhere near to the extent of a Tarantino film. Mm. Um, oh, just lost Travis's audio. Uh, can you Ah, that's better. Sorry about that. I accidentally hit the mute button. Is um the uh, cardinal sin in these days of video conferencing? What he was, what he was saying was so, so bad. We had to censor it. Sorry, ladies. It and was, people. it was like that scene in Forrest Gump where they uh, cut Forrest Gump. When I talk about think about the war in Vietnam, I... <laughs> <laughs> and that's all I have to say about that. Um, so Inside Man, I was um, it's certainly not the same as a Tarantino film in a sense mm. about style. Uh, and doesn't use doesn't play around with his timeline quite as much, but it, mm. an element is there. Um, what I was going to say was we should probably give a synopsis for people who haven't had the joy mm. of seeing this. Mm. 
Absolutely. Uh, man, a police detective, a bank robber, and a high-powered broker. And there are high-stakes negotiations after the criminal's brilliant heist spirals into a hostage situation. I would actually take issue with that synopsis. I don't think it spiraled into a hostage situation at all. The hostage situation was entirely planned. Absolutely. There's not a single element of, well, there's there's maybe one situation throughout the whole thing that is not uh, accounted for. And that's where um, Denzel Washington almost manages to unmask the bank robber. That's yeah, the only part that... Yeah, that completely in control. Yeah. Um, now, this has an incredible cast, as I gave it a heads mm-hmm. up to last week, if you were listening to last week's show. We, are, mm-hmm. we have Denzel Washington and Clive Owen as our main protagonist, playing Denzel playing Detective Keith Frazier, Clive mm-hmm. Owen playing the bank robber, Dalton Russell. Mm-hmm. We have Jodie Foster playing the broker, Madeline White. We have Christopher Plummer, who we linked to last week's film, playing Arthur mm-hmm. Case, Willem Dafoe, Chiwetel Ejiofor, um, um, and I think there are a few other sort of more your... Um, I recognise that face. Yeah, you know, that guy was in that thing with his stuff. He was in that mm. heist movie. Uh, of course, as you said, directed by Spike Lee, which is actually a little bit of a left field mm. move for him as we're probably more used to more political films, dare I say, from, from overtly political films from Spike or... Uh, mm, but certainly more, more socially conscious. A, a more of a, a racial political message, more mm. deeply built into the um, into the storyline. But it is there in this film. Yep. Um, I think the, the one the character that's not accounted for in the cast there, which plays a major role, is New York City. Yeah. Uh, this is a New York City movie. This is mm-hmm. not a movie that could be set in Chicago or L.A. Like, I mean... Heat, in a way, I think Heat is a very L.A. movie. Mm. Um, in, in a way, this New York is an element here. And I think, um, uh, I'm not sure, I'm going to quickly check. The film that Spike directed before this might have been, um, hoping it's the 25th hour, but I'm not sure because that was about. That sounds about right. Um, um, my first thought, um, no, she, he directed She Hate Me in between the two of them, but uh, mm. which I haven't seen. Um but um, he did direct uh, the 25th hour not so long before, about four years before. Mm. And I, I think these two films make a bookend for me, which is Spike's films about New York post 9 11. Mm. And 9 11, the spectre of 9 11, mm-hmm. hangs over this film in a an unspoken but obvious way yeah. for me. Um, and so he didn't write this film, we should note. Um, he yep. did not write it, it was um, direct, written by Russell. Gewitz, 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 <laughs> uh, has not written anything else remotely memorable. <laughs> uh, he wrote Righteous Kill, which was shot partly here in Melbourne and is awful. It's not a good movie. Yep. Uh, and that's about it. Um, so uh, one and done for him so far. Mm-hmm. But I think Spike injects his own. It's a bit like if you anyone, the only film that Tarantino ever directed that he didn't write mm. was Jackie Brown. Yeah, which was an Elmore Leonard novel, um, mm. and it you just sort of in, obviously he injects Quentin into everything he does, but I think Spike injects Spike into this, right? Like one hundred percent. Is that we've got uh, we've got as I said, there's the specter of nine eleven hanging over top, and you can see that um, in a scene where so to take a step back, the the bank robber's brilliant brilliant uh, plan is to take hostage. As I said, it's not a spirals into a hostage situation. It's one hundred percent planned to be a hostage situation. Mm-hmm. And in taking the hostages inside the bank, he dresses them all in identical painter uniforms 
and masks. Mm-hmm. And at various points in the film, he lets um, he lets hostages go, um, either for I guess compassionate reasons or for strategic reasons. Mm. Um, and in one of those, of course, we're going to walk out of the bank. They are in the same outfits as the hostage takers, so they mm. are police are very cautious about, you know, taking them in and, and making them, you know, making sure they are who they say they are. At one point, a, a bank employee is sent out uh, of the uh, of a, the bank uh, with a message for the police. Mm. Um, and they take his mask off, and he's actually Indian. Mm-hmm. He's a Sikh. He's a Sikh, yep. Um, but uh, one of the police pointing a gun at him says, holy shit, it's an Arab. Yeah. Um, and they're like, have you got a bomb? Instantly, he, bomb yeah, it starts going, is it a bomb? Is it a bomb? Um, every, every single element of that whole interaction with that character, it it's so, so of the, the time, the tensions coming after September the 11th. Um, the, and it was done in a very, very spikely manner of it was kind of off the cuff and the um the interaction even more than more disturbing than just someone one of the cops instantly going oh my god it's an arab you a terrorist it's at the dinner table later on where willem defoe's character just says no you didn't hear that no no you just heard that it's like yeah it's like that's even more poignant these days, I think, potentially. And, and some of those lines in that scene in the diner were ad-libbed, including he's like um, uh, Denzel Washington says, um, you know, he's like, the, 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 uh, the, the Sikh employee is sort of complaining about everyone being under suspicion everywhere he goes, and he always gets selected for a security clearance in the in the airports. Mm. And Denzel says, I bet you can get a cab, though. Yeah. And that was ad-libbed. So um, kudos to, to Denzel. Um and uh, where I, I sort of take a step back again, why I think this has a, a connection to, to Pulp Fiction is um, interspersed between scenes of the ongoing bank robbery slash hostage situation mm. are uh, vignettes of actual interviews that uh, the police yeah. officers, Danzel and Chivasel Ejifor, I'm probably pronouncing his red name wrong, I apologise, um, actually have with the people who came out of the bank. We later find out, they're, they're like, we don't know who any of the bank robbers they, they Spoilers. Mm. Spoilers. They can't find any of the bank robbers at the end of the movie. So they uh, they suspect the bank robbers got out in amongst the hostages. Yeah. All dressed the same way. And so they, they have to go through and interview every single one of them or, you know, to try and figure out um, who the actual bank robbers were. And we have interspersed between scenes of the bank robbers, we get those those interviews. Mm. Get those scenes of, of the, the cops interviewing the, the, the now escaped hostages. Um, and I don't know, but I reckon a lot of those are ad-libbed. You get the impression a lot of them were ad-libbed. They definitely uh, feel unscripted, um, but it's also in those uh, those scenes that we see so much character. And considering it's the first time that Denzel and Chiwete have worked together, they've got amazing fucking chemistry together. Really good. He's incredible in this. Like he's actually mm. he's a wonderful actor, actor, actor Chiwetel. I mean, mm. like I said last week, he's in Serenity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not trying to influence your decision tonight, but he, he's in Serenity. <laughs> um, uh, you know, he, he. I mean, that's the one that sticks in my mind. I think that's the one where I first noticed him and gone. He's incredible. Mm. Twelve Years a Slave. He was freaking incredible. Really, really great in that. 
he was great in Children of Men. Yes. Um, so um, he's not put a foot wrong in incredible my mind. He's actually a, a really deeply underrated actor. Like Denzel, obviously, is the man, right? Like mm. he can headline yeah. films. Is he an Academy Award winner? I think he might be. Didn't he win one for Training Day? I think. Denzel. Yeah. 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 Two yeah. Oscars. He's got yeah. two. Yeah. So I mean, obviously, uh, he's um, he's the man. Um, would you like to guess? Here's the one for you. Mm. One one for Training Day. What did he win the other one for? I would guess Malcolm X. No, he was nominated for Malcolm X. He won for Glory in 1989, Best Supporting Actor. Oh, um, okay. Best piece of trivia for you. Um, <laughs> topic. So everyone knows Denzel's an amazing actor, right? Mm. He's been nominated a shit ton of times. Mm. But I don't think Chipotle's on the same level. You know, he certainly doesn't have the same name recognition. Mm. And you know what it would be? It could be because his name's difficult to pronounce. <laughs> his name was Bruce Jones, right? Like, <laughs> But you, you just know that that's that's – a, a conversation that his first agent had with him is like, would you be willing to have a pseudonym? Pretty much. I mean, that's, do. yeah, but you know, respect to him for keeping, keeping his name. Um, and, but, but the, the, the other thing is these are masterclass sessions on how to engage an audience without actually showing them fuck all because these um, little vignettes, the interviews, it, sh- it highlights how well these two cops work together as a team, how they play off of each other. It highlights how they're actually intelligent thinking cops. They're kind of every now and then they'll just drop in. So like Stevie, Steve-O, and just try and trip these people up in conversation. And they're really friendly and they approach. You see all these different methods of approaching their, um, their people. It's not your stereotypical interview slash interrogation scene stuff realer in a way like i mean yeah. like in the, cops in movies and television you know it's like good cop bad cops like mm. you're going down for this man we know you did it blah 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 you know mm. we're gonna throw a book at you and mm. you know but that's the other thing that these sequences really show is they show these cops in a way that especially post 9 11 when so many uh, kind of law enforcement roles and positions of authority were being kind of buffed up to look like these heroes these guys were shown as being human their eyesight eye lines keep on dropping down to the girls cleavage and stuff and they get caught out with it they sh- they show them as genuine people flawed individuals and they even do that with the cops um in the just moments like denzel washington have a conversation with the cop that called in the the bank robbery yeah. and he manages to stop himself from saying nigger and they have this very good conversation about try to drop down the color commentary and it's it's not this slap in the face bad word bad word it's an honest conversation that is good and informative and educational real yeah which is brilliant i mean they feel it i mean and that's what i mean by like and i think having been to new york there's a vibe about the city Mm -hmm. um it's hard to describe. I know it sounds like I'm being a wanker, but um, uh, if you've ever, like, I remember playing Grand Theft Auto Five for the first time. In have you actually ever played that? Yes. And like, I mean, you've been to LA. You went to the Academy Awards, right? There's, hmm. a, there's a feeling about that city. Yeah. You know, it's a vibe. It's a, just driving around town. It has a feel to it. Yeah. Um, and that game incredibly captured it. Incredibly oh, yeah. captured it. Like. 
It nailed. I mean, it is. It's it's based off. You know, uh, it's based off LA, and you know, a lot of it's parody. But just the feel of a city in that game, it really felt like you're in LA without being there. Uh, and this one, it just sort of really captured the vibe of New York City. And I think the LA, uh, um, NYPD is a very distinctive part of that city. Oh yeah. And um, and I think Spike did a great job in sort of capturing mm. that vibe of the police mm. and their attitudes. And I think Willem Dafoe was notable in a, in a fairly different sort of a role for him as the, yeah. as the police captain, a very aggressive sort of police captain, which is a little unusual for him. Mm. He's um, especially post um, his Green Goblin Spider-Man period. He's done a lot of kind of safe roles following on from that he did the voice of um the death uh death god in uh in death note um he is obviously one of his most popular roles was um as the fish in um finding nemo and um he's done unusual stuff like antichrist for lars von trier he's really been all over the place this is a real weird mix of an unusual role for him in a seemingly very Hollywood movie by a director that doesn't traditionally do typical Hollywood movies. It's a weird hodgepodge. It really is. But I enjoyed him in this. Um, mm. And, uh, you know, he he is a wonderful, very capable actor. Mm. Um, so it was, it was, I really enjoyed seeing him play a little bit against type, mm. not necessarily playing a villain, not really playing a good guy, kind of an anti-hero, not even an anti-hero, just like a... Yeah. Yeah, a supporting role, um, but outside of his normal space. But I, I found him very convincing at the same mm. time. It felt like a real vibe to his character. I feel like a lot of the success of this movie comes from the setup versus <laughs> the payoff for everything, going from um, the interview sequences where you usually expect one of them to be good cop, one of them to be bad cop. They don't do that. They're just individuals they're humans um with the willem dafoe character when you first introduce there's a there's that tension and uh, friction between him and denzel washington's character and denzel says okay let's go and he explains to his partner yeah i'm just gonna let him chew on it and you think that willem dafoe is going to be a bit of a hard ass and be that so like gun ready guy but he's not he actually kind of goes no i've got my job to do i'm going to fall in line we're going to do what's right we're going to follow this through and even right at the end when it seems like denzel has completely lost control of the situation he feels gen- he's built up this camaraderie with denzel and he feels bad when he has to phone up the police captain and say hey this is the situation down here it's all very human and it's not none of that Oh, well, I saw that coming. Come on. That's that's such a cliche. That's such a stereotype. Everyone plays against it. Going I into never... um, the characters that um, Jodie Foster and Christopher and the, Plummer play. Which, I mean, are actually a key sort of... It's, well, it's one of the, the fascinating, um, uh, I guess, dynamics of a film. It's not just cops against robbers. Yeah. If you have this third element in the equation being... Uh, Christopher Plummer playing Arthur Case, who mm. is the owner of the bank or the bank that's being robbed. Uh, mm. And spoilers, is essentially the target of a robbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will leave it at that. I won't try and actually spoil what <laughs> happens, but he is and something he has in that bank 
is the main target of why the robbers are there. Um, I it, thought it was really brave for them to actually, you know, just say that Father Christmas keeps the naughty and nice list in a bank vault. I thought that was really ingenious. Don't give him ideas. They'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> this Christmas starring Scott Bale and Kirk Cameron. Inside Santa. <laughs> that sounds like a weird, um, I don't know, like reimagining of inner space, but Christmas I themed. I was going to say, you know, Santa goes for a, uh, a, a colonoscopy. A colonoscopy or something, but, you know, um, you can take it however you like it, but um, Hallmark Channel, they'll do it. Um, interestingly, the Hallmark Channel have a Christmas movie coming up this, uh, this uh, season which actually for the first time ever in Hallmark Channel history features mm. a same-sex couple. Well, the times they are a-changing. And uh, the Americans are losing their shit. Or a lot this of channel used to be good for families. Why isn't there G-rated stuff on this channel? This is for families, you know, like... It... Yeah, okay. Um, mm. Back on topic. So, so, as I said... Arthur Case is playing the target of the robbers. He quickly puts that together and mm. reaches out to um, Jodie Foster's Madeline White, who mm. is we call her a broker. Um, I guess she's she's almost like um, a a very New York female version of Mister Wolf again from yeah, Pulp Fiction. A fixer, is a, the fixer. Word a fixer. You know, yeah. like she gets shit done. And she doesn't necessarily take any prisoners to do so. Mm. Um, and she is the fixer and leverages some relationships she has around the place to get access to the police investigating the robbery mm. and then later access to the actual robbers inside the bank in an attempt to bargain with them to prevent them from taking the thing mm. that has inspired the, uh, their actions. Yeah. Um, uh, and she's actually, I mean, this is, she's really great in this film, Jodie Foster. This is one of probably the more memorable roles I can think of her in the last 20 years, frankly. I don't, she, for such a talented actor, she doesn't do much. She doesn't work very much. I mean, she was in Elysium. I think that was the other thing I saw her in. Um, yeah. And that's about it, right? Um, the Brave One, uh, Flight Plan, and they're all going back about 15 years. But then mm. again, I guess she's got her money now, right? Like, mm. uh, and I know, I know she that goes, she's doing a bit more uh, directing really, as well, but well, really, I mean, she directed one episode of Black Mirror three years ago and one episode of Tales from the Loop this year. Yeah, she's not doing and much, but two, two, two projects in three years, and they're a TV show, so these would mm. not be multi, you know, six month projects. Like, a, she's not directing a Lord of the Rings film, mm. you know. Mm. Um, again, she's probably got more than enough money to keep herself happy, and she works when she wants to. Yeah. Um, but she's fantastic in this. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, I found myself in the, in the final scene, uh, I won't spoil it, but Denzel Washington corners her and the New York mayor mm. at lunch. Um, and just the, the chemistry between her and the mayor mm-hmm. um, and the, the line from the mayor is, uh, war crimes, what have you got me into this time? Mm. Uh, I'm like, those guys need their own show. Yeah. They need yeah. their own film. They're not going to get it. But, like, that would have been cool. Um, and she has a, she has a real, um, take no prisoners attitude, I guess is the way to put it. Like Mm. she's never, she's never rude. She's never necessarily really aggressive, but you know, she's powerful, powerful. And she leaves you an absolutely no doubt Mm. that if you don't do what she says, she's going to fuck you up. 
And mm. there's a fantastic line earlier from the mayor. She basically leverages a, a favour she's done for the mayor in the past to get mm. access to the police. And we're in, in leveraging or calling in that favour from the mayor, he says to her, Madeline, you are a magnificent cunt. Yeah. Um, which is really, you do not see the C word used in a lot of American films. Yeah. But it also absolutely perfectly identifies her because she is consistently shown as always in charge of any scene that she's in. And she, considering how well they build up uh, Clive Owen's Dalton Russell's kind of mastermind persona throughout the whole thing, the back and forth, the one scene that they have together, it's great. And you see them kind of dropping and picking up and they think they're in control and they're playing. She is always right at the tip of the spear, just ready to go at any second. And she is magnificent all the time. But she is also a cunt because she is brutal with mm. her honesty and her pragmatism. And she kind of gets you done, right? I mean, she yeah. almost you know, pulls this off um, for, for Christopher Plummer. But mm. uh, unfortunately, I think, uh, uh, I don't think she had anything she could offer the robbers that would really actually have achieved her goal. Mm. But um, she is, as I said, she, she is an interesting, her mm-hmm. sort of job to sort of, in a way, derail the plans of both the robbers and the police is an interesting third element to the story. Yeah. Uh, and I sort of come back again to, to what we started, Spike's, um, racial politics does play a role eventually mm-hmm. um, in so much as um, there's a scene between Clive Owen and uh, a child hostage, a child who was in the bank mm-hmm. with their father, who's playing um, oh God, not 2006, it was probably a PlayStation Portable, I'm guessing. Yep. Um, it would have been a PSP. Um, and uh, he's playing, I guess it's a GTA-inspired game. It's like Get Rich or Die Trying by 50 Cent or something. I, I think it was inspired by those kind of street gangster kind of uh, games that were very, very popular. Yeah. And it's you're basically that African-American people going around dealing drugs and doing drive-bys and stuff like that. And mm. you, know, you can. And it's interesting that he's, the kid isn't afraid of sitting opposite a bank robber, a masked bank robber with a machine gun. Mm-hmm. He's like, you're not afraid. He goes, no, you just, we all just trying to get paid. Mm-hmm. It says, and and I feel like Spike's saying something there about the fact that an African American child, a, he's playing. I mean, many kids play those sorts of games, mm. but he's he's basically, as I said, sitting opposite a guy with a big gun uh, in a such a high tension situation, and he's not particularly worried or afraid. But mm. mm. and doesn't that say something about the level of violence? Yeah. Um, and crime that, that the African-American community is exposed to at a very young age, even in a big city like New York, mm. or especially in a big city like New York. Mm. Now, one thing about that that little element um, that when I first watched this movie, I thought, oh, shit, is that going to be the downfall of this? Because the, the PSP is introduced as, you know, they've got all of the hostages and he comes out after beating up uh, Peter Hammond, uh, the, the bank manager, and says, does anyone else think that they're smarter than me? And the kid holds up the PSP and it's sort of like, oh, that's just the game console. Uh, anyone who actually knows, the PSP was able to connect to the internet. So it could have actually connected to the internet and actually informed. So... The kid was actually being really smart and kind of honest, but they didn't play with that, but that's good. 
it was just a funny little bit that you know a bit of inside baseball. Like, actually did say it was a PSP. I'm just assuming it was a PSP because oh, it's obvious it could have been a Sega Game Gear, an Atari Lynx. Not with those graphics, there would have been smoke coming out of it. <laughs> I mean, and the batteries would have died after about 25 minutes. So exactly. Yeah. <laughs> It was probably a PSP, but we didn't need to give any. Uh, it wasn't a Sony movie, so they didn't actually put the brand on it. Mm. Uh, so, I mean, and there is a very nice twist to the end of this film. I'll, I'll give you that much. So, yeah. this is a twist film. If you don't like twist films, what's wrong with you? When they're done yeah. well, they're beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, but this has one. I'm not spoiling what it is, but you'll. Um, I, I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, I was I, I was I was being a bit cheeky by picking this because I knew I enjoyed it so much. But mm. uh, even just little elements, mm. like at one point to put the police off, a police bug some pizzas that are sent in to oh, the bank. Yeah, and to put them off. The the robbers play not a cassette tape, but it's actually an iPod that dates the film. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, a recording, shall I say, uh, a, of a speech in a foreign language to put the police off, and they spend quite some time trying to find uh, somebody who can tell them what language it is that's being spoken. And she think it's Russian. It's not Russian. Turns out it's Albanian and they have to employ some guy's ex-wife to come in and tell them, uh, Albanian ex-wife, to tell them that it's Enver Hoxha, mm. communist dictator of, um, of Albania during the Cold War. Um, and again, It's in that whole sequence that is... That's uh, really where the character of New York comes in because Denzel Washington says, put it out on the speaker. This is New York. Someone's going to know it. And it's like, yeah. it is. That is very true. But then the guy who actually comes out and goes, yo, my man, I'm really curious about him because there's a because he's going, he's being told, oh, yeah, don't go anywhere. Just sit in the back. He's like, oh, no, not again. It's like, yeah, yeah. Like, what happened? What? Like, right here? <laughs> Is that again, just- it's a nice little again. It's a nice little, a bit like the line from the from the mayor at the end. What have you got me into this time? Yeah, it's sort of it. It just goes to show one little line of dialogue like that can tell you quite a bit mm. about a character uh, or a set of characters. You can tell a lot about um, Madeline and the mayor's relationship in the sense that this isn't the first time they've done business together. Mm-hmm. When he you said you're a magnificent cunt and you put all this together, they've got quite a history together. And the construction worker who tells him it's Albanian, like you see, he goes, oh, no, not again. You mm-hmm. know, and you're like, well, again, that's telling us a little bit about what kind of person he is. He has some experience for police. Yeah. Um, and it's not important. He's not an important character. But all of this goes, I think, to create a really nice picture. And and Spike, it, like a lot of very good directors, really paints to the edges. Yeah. Um, yeah, there is a small role, but he's telling us something about him. And he's not just a throwaway extra like he could have been. Mm-hmm. So I think it's um, very telling of the talent involved in all of this because it takes a very competent, confident director to be able to go, okay, play with this because so much of this is character-based. And if you get a lesser actor in there or a an unsure director, an un- uncomfortable director in there they're gonna pull back at a point when they should be pushing forwards and it's gonna feel even worse and the competency of all of the actors to to do those little improv lines that just flesh out a little bit of character it's this just give the scene a little bit more flavor there's it's it's a it's a master class in the it, it does nothing revelatory it just does everything that it's trying to do really well and it showcases it well 
It is. It's, it's just somebody who knows he's just an absolute craftsman at mm. the top of his game. Goes to show you don't have to be doing things flashy. We'll get to things that are flashy in mm. the next segment. But um, and this is just someone who, as you sort of said, he does the simple things really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you do all the simple things, all the things you should do, you do them as well as you possibly can, the mm-hmm. rest of it will take care of itself to a very large degree. Uh, yeah. It helps that he had a very good script mm-hmm. um, and some outstanding actors involved. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, But I, I think Spike should take a hell of a lot of a credit for this because I said this is outside of his normal oeuvre um, and, you know, he uh, we are the beneficiaries of that and it goes to show I think Spike should have to have an Oscar by now. Wait, he hasn't? I don't think he has a best directing Oscar. He might have he has a best adapted screenplay actor, which is the award you give directors when you don't want to give them best director. That's, That's the one Quentin's got a couple of times now. Best yeah. uh, original screenplay, best adapted screenplay. Um, you know, that, mm. that's the, that's the, that's the uh, fallback award. We, you were not socially acceptable to give the big award to <laughs> giving it to Robert Zemeckis again. Um, <laughs> you know, like, you look at a film like Black Klansman, right? He was nominated for, I think, um, Best Director in that for that. Um, that should have won Best Picture. It should have won Best Director, director I think. Mm-hmm. Um, it, um, But... Um, it didn't because it's not the kind of film that the Academy is going to give those awards to. No. Like Pulp Fiction, we're never going to get the best picture. We're going to get the Forrest Gump, right? Like, okay. you know, Pulp Fiction's far and away, so far and away a better film than Forrest Gump. It's not funny. Yeah. But, you know, um, they're going to go for crowd pleaser. So, hmm. of course. Uh, I, I think I, I think Spike's a much better director than his meager run at the uh, Oscars would tell you. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. And speaking of Black Klansman, now you have—you may not have realized how much you were trying, you were seeding, going to Serenity as the the next movie. But uh, I'm not doing that. I want to go to Black Klansman because I have not watched. Well, that that's movie. a that's a treat as well. Mm, I have not a really watched great that movie. Film, so. um, fascinated to hear what you think about it. Mm, I. I generally love uh, Spike Lee's movies. The cast that he's got for Black Klansman is pretty potent. Uh, it's got John David Washington, which we will talk about when we get on to our Tenet section. Adam Driver, most famous for being Kylo Ren. Um, Topher Grace, um, Alec Baldwin. It's got some top quality actors in there. Damn. All right. And, uh, uh, and I think this is like, look, I mean, Spike's not, he's not beyond doing films that are a bit forgettable sometimes, or films that don't necessarily make the cultural impact the pens they're good. I think he's a wonderful director, but mm-hmm. I think, I feel like Black Klansman was a real return to form for him. Mm-hmm. Like, this is, he has knocked this one out of the park. Mm. Um, and yeah, I, I think, you know, interestingly, Jordan Peele had something to do with that. Mm hmm. Uh, who was very hot uh, in 2008, still very hot in a way. Mm. So, um, look, I, I don't want to spoil it, but I, I think it's um, one of the um, one of the things I think I noted about the early 2000s was, um, and, and and when you have a really shitty president in the United States or a really shitty war going on or something like that, um, it really can encourage some great art. Mm. 
And I don't know that the Trump era has really done that to a great degree, but I feel like it did in this instance. Yeah, I I agree. I think that um, it's it's going to be very interesting to see. Like the South Park team, they haven't really um, utilized the show to take the piss out of Donald Trump more than really his initial presidential run because they've said, well, it's, it's just not funny right now. It's, it's too easy. It's, it's not, it's not the right thing. But I think as we get a little bit more divorced from the Trump era, going into the first year of Biden and onwards, that's when we're going to start seeing a few more things coming in. like those blacks, uh, black comedy satires, um, coming in about, um, inconsequential presidents or stupid decisions or it'll be kind of like the spin city of movies where you never really see the person truly in power but you see everyone else around them going oh what the fuck did he just say that's policy now oh shit we gotta well, deal they with tried that. that with space force but they failed miserably unfortunately yeah. it's been renewed for a second season which is disappointing because it was desperately unfunny mm. which, it was so half-baked which of the cast they had mm-hmm criminal yeah. but anyway you're right i suspect maybe you're right. i never really felt like watching something like that when you're like uh, this is real this is mm. real like this is a bit too real um <laughs> too real right too real. Like, and like you know I, I think there's a lot of trump presidency to go in a way like yeah we all know the guy's been up to some shit right like oh, he's not the kind of guy he's just gone out he's not he's not been a boring presidency on any level right so yeah. there's a whole bunch of stuff that we're going to find out about once he's out of the office i know i always tell people when i used to work for a bank they used to force people or their employees to go on 10 days annual leave a year you had to do it mm. no questions asked which is ironic considering a lot of places it's hard to take leave mm. but in banking they would insist Reason being, that's when they catch people doing sketchy shit is when they're not at work. And someone comes in to fill in for them, that's where they catch a bank manager who's been writing fake loans to go play the pokies and shit like that. <laughs> Happens all the time, right? It's, it's yeah. not, not on you. So same thing is going to be at play here with Trump, right? As soon as he's out of a, out of your room and he hasn't got the presidency to protect him anymore and they start going for all the shit that he did, I'm trying to decide what I would be more shocked by. You know, the revelations of all this illegal stuff that's been going on that he was doing. Or they kind of go, you know what? He didn't actually do anything. He did nothing good. He did nothing bad. There's literally no evidence that he did any work. Everything just sat on a shelf. I don't know which of those scenarios I would find more surprising. <laughs> it, it'd be, it, you know, time will tell and I, I think there's going to be you know uh, we've talked about it before like when they they make the actual movie of a trump presidency like the next the actual proper big screen one right yeah there'll be oliver stone version who do they get and it's going to be the role of a lifetime for someone mm-hmm. yep and there will definitely be death threats i'm sure of it well i mean that's what i think we talked a few weeks ago about the comey rule yeah. Um, was it Brennan Gleeson only agreed to play the role of Trump as long as he didn't have to do any publicity about it. And there was a bunch of people who sort of were questioning about being involved just due to the fact that not even necessarily of deference, but Trump was going to tweet about them. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, he's got a couple of million followers. and million cult members to follow yeah. them. So, it's true. Uh, anyway. Should we move on to non-politics? We've done politics tonight. Let's let's move on to non-politics and a connection with Black Klansmen. Um, let's talk about 
Chris Nolan's Tenet. First movie we've both been able to see in the traditional cinemas in months. And I think that we both have very similar thoughts about it. Uh, yeah, so I, I talked last week that I saw the first five minutes of this at IMAX last December uh, mm. with the new Star Wars movie and said it was the best thing I saw all evening. It was mm-hmm. the highlight <laughs> of the evening for me, um, seeing that as opposed to the, uh, the, whatever the film was called, um, The Return of Skywalker or whatever. Um, uh, and it, I was super, super excited to see it. Um, mm. uh, and the funny thing is that I didn't notice this time the problems that came to fe- came to be when I saw it on Saturday. Uh, Let's start with the positives here for me. This film looks incredible. Mm-hmm. The cinematography yeah, is perfect. I saw this in 70mm at the Astor in um, St Kilda mm-hmm. in a room which was apparently sold out and there would have been 15 people in there. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. And um, it, you've been to the Astor, right? It is a top-notch Mm. But the seats aren't that comfortable, but when it comes to sound and the screen's huge, it's yeah. it's it's yeah, it's a movie powerful. It's excellent. Yeah. It's it's built to be was built for that. Yeah. Um and uh it looks incredible. The, the, mm. the effects are incredible in the sense that what effects there are, a lot of them are practical in-camera yeah. special effects, which always look better. Yeah, 100%. So, sorry, uh there is a scene where um they crash a 747 into a building, not mm-hmm. on the ground, not in the air. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> crash through a fence into a building while it's taking off. Mm-hmm. And they really did that. Mm-hmm. And part, really of, part of the joke of that was it was cheaper to do it real than it was yeah. doing it in CGI. Cheaper to buy a 747 and blow it up than to do it on <laughs> CGI, which is crazy. Mm. Take a step back, as we always do. What is a film about? It's an excellent question, and I walked out of a cinema. I don't know that I could have answered it. So what IMDb says is, and this is the official Warner Brothers Pictures um, synopsis, is armed with only one word, tenet, and fighting for the survival of the entire world, a protagonist journeys through a twilight world of international espionage on a mission that will unfold in something beyond real time. I think that's a whole load of bollocks. well, it could be about that. I'm not really sure. Um, I but guess that's the main problem I have with this film. This this movie is a great prelude for a TV show. Maybe. Um, I think what it is, I think it's Chris Nolan saying, I wanted to direct a Bond film, but they wouldn't give me the creative freedom I needed to, so I made my own. Um, this is a spy <laughs> movie. Um, yes. we, we open with the, a... A police, a terrorist taking over a theatre in uh, what mm. I think is supposed to be Russia. I guess yeah. later, maybe the Ukraine. Mm. Um, and we see terrorists take it over, and then we see it being raided by, um, I guess, counterterrorism police of some description. Mm-hmm. One of whom is played by John David Washington, mm-hmm. uh, who is simply known as the protagonist. He does character, does not have a name. Mm-hmm. One of my problems with this film. The characters. Um, so we they pump gas to put the, uh, the potentially the hostages and the uh, terrorists to sleep, and some funky shit happens during mm-hmm. the uh, during the raid, and people are shot and killed, and I don't really know what happens. Like um, they grab some guy from a from a 
balcony for watching the show before he's killed or put to sleep. He seems like he's important. Mm-hmm. It's difficult to, re- and here we encounter the first problem for film, which, or the main problem of film for me, which continues right throughout the whole production. The dialogue is largely inaudible. I'm sorry, what did you say? I can't understand what they're saying because yeah. of this hum of noise. It is the loudest film I can remember. And I don't have a problem with that. They've got a great sound system in the ass, so I, I work it out. But, you know, you don't have someone talking to give and giving expository dialogue that's quite important to the plot. Mm. While they're, st- they're driving in a really loud car or in a yeah. really loud boat or in a windy spot. So I can't understand what they're saying. I've got no idea what's going on. I think I understand the thought process behind it. I think it's to try and further bring you into the into the world. Obviously, Chris Nolan filmed a huge percentage, if not all of this movie, on IMAX because he loves that big immersive feel and the sound the fact that you every every movie that he's made uh from bloody um dark knight rises has had that real bass feel you feel the vibrations in it and you i can't help but feel like yeah i'm hearing the exploding jet around me i'm hearing the the bullets whizzing past i my audio for what they're saying would be tarnished but we are an audience. We are supposed to follow this story forward. If he wants to play with that audio more, he has to work out a crutch for the audience. And he hasn't worked it out and he has gotten worse. It was a big sin that people had with um, Bane. And- I think we saw, speaking of IMAX, we saw the first few minutes of Dark Knight Rises before Mission Impossible 4? Uh, whatever Mission Impossible film, the one where it was had the Burj Khalifa in it. Um, and I remember being really angry and annoyed that, like, I was so excited to see it, and mm-hmm. he had that muffled, you know, like, yeah, um, thing happening. And they did clean it up a little bit with the Dark Knight when he released the final version, which is probably, I imagine, from what we can see now, mm-hmm. done by potentially at the insistence of a studio rather than what Nolan wanted to do. He seems to really like this idea that we mm. not hear. I mean, I think I read something this week that he feels like it's just another element in the soundtrack is a voice mm. um, as opposed to, you know, something separate to the soundtrack that should sit mm. on top of it. Yeah. But, the you know, that that is – I absolutely agree that the soundtrack is can very well be a character in the, in the movie. And, you know, we talked about it when we went back to The Thing and Ennio Morricone's – music is phenomenal it is minimal it is a character it caps uh, encapsulates the whole movie so well and this and particularly his work um when he brings in hans zimmer is so bassy and so it's like okay come on you're really being fucking ham-fisted here he needs to he is chris nolan is phenomenal for cinematography for action direction and really capturing it and capturing the magnitude of those sorts of things but his sound has always been an issue going back to following right at the beginning it was um it was a bit of a trashy da- uh, audio and then he did pretty well with memento he did pretty well with um insomnia prestige was pretty good but never he's never really gotten that 
great balance and he needs to work with someone a real top quality music coordinator on set and in the editing team to really pair that up and get those working together because if he gets that together he will be really make, pushing something technologically forward as well as doing an interesting story but he's failing on that one step and it just really looks like a big old shiny red nose it's it's disappointing and, and i think it's um he, uh he's gone too far for me um this movie sense, yeah he's gone too far and he needs he's become too big um he's become too successful in a way mm -hmm. which i would normally think is a great thing like i mean we've talked ad nauseum about how how annoying it is that everything's a reboot or a remake or a sequel or somehow connected to a Mm -hmm. you know a pre-existing property of some description this would cost over 200 million dollars to make it's a completely original story mm. uh, that is a it's a wonderful thing in theory mm -hmm. but we have a director here who no one says no to anymore apparently yeah um and we know where that ends up that mm -hmm. ends up with the phantom menace yeah right like no one said no to lucas back then because he was george fucking lucas mm -hmm. and we got the, the prequel trilogy which ironically now is being rehabilitated in light of the sequel trilogy being so poor. Mm. Um, people are now like, oh, well, George's sequels would have been so good. I'm like, would they though? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but Nolan, I think, is someone who needs someone to tell him no. Um, you know, you, you can't do that. Like, mm. how can you, if you, I mean, I don't explain to someone, many years ago I was in Russia mm. and they said, do you want to go to the movies? And I'm like, who the fuck am I going to go to the movies? They are all dubbed into Russian. I don't speak Russian well enough to actually understand what mm. people uh, are saying in, in the cinema. Mm. So we went and saw Tears of a Sun, the Bruce Willis film. Oh. I didn't need to know what they were saying. It sucked. Yeah. Um, then we went and saw the X-Men 2. Um, what about one was? Um, uh, uh, X-Men 2, get Xia. Pretty much. X2, yeah. whatever it was called. Everyone X2, yeah. That. X2. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we went Night Stalker, which was cool. Um and there were little gags in there occasionally, which I didn't laugh. Like, it was a scene where Night Stalker was talking and people were laughing. And my friend, like, like, my friend's like, I'm like, what's that funny? She's like, oh, he's talking Russian with a very strong German accent. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but like, for the most part, I didn't need to understand what was being said in those films. The plot was fairly mm. self-explanatory through the actions going on on the screen. Yeah. That's not the case. It's an incredibly complex story that Christopher Nolan is telling here about Oh, should we give it a go? Uh, essentially, someone in the future has invented technology that allows them to transport things back in time or in, re invert the, time, the time's arrow on particular elements. Mm. So they're sitting, so, there's a war or something and they're selling bullets back in time to kill people? That's that's the whole thing. All The whole movie, it feels like setup. You never actually get any payoff. Like You are introduced um, fairly quickly to Kenneth Branagh being a bad guy, the bad mamma jamma, the one who is going to cause everything. But he's not. He is a quintessential Bond villain, but he's getting sent back stuff from the past. He keeps finding these capsules, which have got uh, the uranium and to, like notes in them and stuff, telling him things from the future and how to how to progress his agenda or their agenda from the future. We never find out who they are. We um, we come into the story very much 
as the protagonist is, where he's joining in right at the beginning. He's a complete and utter noob. But by the end of this movie, the protagonist seems to have a pretty good clue on what's going on. We haven't. We've been shown one bad guy, but invariably, this is level one of the first game and you've just beaten the first boss. There are obvious that there have been so many allusions to higher powers, more deadly opponents elsewhere in the world and things. We're never given any information to that. And I don't know, maybe it's the the curse of all time travel movies is of they are now so fucking cliched you know exactly why shit happens when it's like like the you know um robert patterson he chases off after one of these masked guys he unmasks him he just looks surprised it's like oh, okay i know who that is it's it's obvious who that is it i that's I, I, your I, superpower though right Huh? That's your superpower. You ruined films for yourself in the first <laughs> 10 minutes. But, I mean, come on. There, there's only so many things that st- um, time travel or time bending are going to do. And it, it's always certainly in a way that's going to be acceptable for a mass audience. So mm-hmm. the film that somewhat reminded me, this reminded me, was a film called Primer from many years ago. I don't know if you've seen it. Okay. Oh, look, I don't want to go. In the fact that it confused the fuck out of me, and it was about time travel. <laughs> but where, where the, the difference between these two movies, though, is Primer goes really heavy on the science element of time travel, whereas this, this could have gone heavy on the science. I don't know what they were saying. It didn't. Um, it, it gave <laughs> off some basic plausibility. It's like, yeah, that's it. That'll do. That's that's enough to to set up the world that we live in. Things can go backwards. Move on. <laughs> You either get off the train there or you stay on and enjoy the movie for what it is. This movie is going to piss off a lot of people who, um, like one of my favorite shows, Fringe, it plays with a lot in the pseudosciences. A lot of people I know who love uh, science watch it and go, no, that's just completely wrong. I can't enjoy this. The tenor is going to piss people off on that same level. Um, at one point early in the film, he told uh, he's shown a drawer of a bunch of stuff in it. He goes, "What's about?" He goes, "The tractors from the war to come." Yeah, and I'm like, "Ooh, that sounds fucking sexy." Mm-hmm. That's the last time we hear about this war, really. I mean, you know, yeah. some allusions to it later on. Maybe I don't know. I couldn't understand them. Um, <laughs> but you know, we don't really ever touch that. Um, and it, just to take that, take a step from there. I mentioned earlier characters. Mm-hmm. They were terrible. Apart. Unfortunately, or fortunately, I really enjoyed Robert Pattinson's character in this. Me too. Far and away. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think John David Washington is a star, will be a star. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't think, I think now people will will look at, you know, if you wanted to recast John McClane, have a look at him, right? Like, I mean, that's what they might, might do. Um, I don't think Bruce, I mean, Bruce has done enough. Like, And who would put it past him, right? Who mm-hmm. would put it fucking past him doing that? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think he's a he's a major star in the making. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we didn't mention he's Denzel Washington's kid. Um, and, uh, and you you will see in Black Clansman he has he has great range because he's very funny in that. Uh, so he can do funny, he can do action. He's great. I don't have a problem with his acting. I just don't think the protagonist was very interesting because it didn't actually get written as an interesting character. Robert mm. Pattinson has the best. Well, the lines of the lines I could understand. He gets the best of them. 
Um, yeah. I my interest level, you know, sometimes it's I, I think of it as where well, certain characters once they're on screen, my interest level in what's going on goes up. Mm. And I was more interested in what was going on on screen when Robert Pattinson um, was on screen um, most of the way through the film, and mm -hmm. that, that's really encouraging to me because I know everybody says he's a good actor, <laughs> and he's kind of done his best to wash his hands of Twilight, right? But I haven't seen him in anything. Mm. It really made me go, wow. I mean, I saw The Lost City of Zed um, mm. with Charlie Hunnam, and it's eh, mm. fine. It's kind of a boring movie. Um, but I haven't really seen a film that made me go, Robert Pattinson, eh? Mm -hmm. He's not too bad. Um, and, you know, maybe that's just because I haven't seen a, a lot of his stuff. Mm. But this is the one that made me go, oh, Robert Pattinson, eh? Yes. Maybe he will be a good Batman. Yeah. Pairing how he performed in this with the teaser trailer that we got for the Batman um, four or five months ago at this point, I'm now very curious to see how that goes because he is showing some interesting development as a cat, as an actor, and he pulled off action as well. Yeah, he has a name yeah, in this film. Neil. <laughs> he's one of the few that uh, does have a name. <laughs> I, mean, I think it's. I mean, you have a major. So you mentioned the other character here being um, sort of the the bad guy being Kenneth Branagh's mm. Soviet Russian sort of guy. He kind of reminded me because he played a Russian in um, the Jack Ryan reboot a few years ago. You'd think yeah. it's damn Jack. Yeah. And I was like, oh, your Russian accent is fucking terrible. Uh, so I was disappointed to see him pop up again as a Russian again. Um, and uh, he's. Um, uh, sorry, trying to find the uh, the actress's name. Uh, his uh, wife. Oh, um, Elizabeth Debicki. Debicki, yep. Um, who pops up in the latest season of The Crown, by the way, which is interesting. Um, she plays. She also Diana. plays the leader of the the gold people in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. Okay. Oh, right, 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 right. She's very tall. Yes. Um, um, and very beautiful. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think she's good in this, mm. but the fact that I don't understand why. So the protagonist does take a number of steps in this film to protect her. Mm. So she is Kenneth Branagh's wife. She's not keen on being his wife anymore, but mm. he's essentially keeping her hostage through her son mm. is what I took away, could get from his film. Correct. Uh, and Kenneth, uh, sorry, um, uh, the protagonist is essentially mm. supposed to, I think, use her as an in to Kenneth Branagh's inner circle. It's a way to get close to Kenneth Branagh through his wife um yeah. and then somehow becomes connected to her if he starts to feel a connection with her mm. and then actually starts to do shit based on what's best for her i'm not doing a good describe basically he does he, he tries to rescue her a few times right like he he works goes, goes out of his way to save her life on a couple of different he occasions travels backwards in time at great risk to himself in attempt to save her from a gunshot wound and I don't understand why. Like, I mean, obviously, maybe it's just because the protagonist is a nice guy. But I assume the people who chose him for this operation chose him because he was good at what he did. And mm. we think of him as a James Bond-esque character. Mm. Um, would James risk his life to save a random person who he has no real connection to? I would think probably not. I mean, maybe if he was shagging her, because that's the kind of thing James might, James might do. But, like, or you know, he was in love with her. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like, I don't understand. I, I never really 
understood or bought why the protagonist gave a shit about mm. um, uh, her character at all. Mm. Uh, Kat, her name is. I don't understand why he cared about her or her son in the sense that essentially what was at play here, I think, again, was some sort of global war which would kill pretty much everyone. Mm. Um, and he was risking that happening to mm. save her and her son when, like I said, I didn't, because I'd never spent a whole lot of time on building up who these characters were. I mean, they probably spent more time on her than anyone else, but they didn't spend any time building a relationship between the two of them. Not really. Um, we we with it a little bit, but um, it was very quickly. And you know what? Early on, they're just scooting through at a million miles an hour. We almost like, oh, I smash cut. That's one of the reasons why I think this story would serve much better as a like an eight episode series because you could spend more time introducing these characters developing them out and telling the story because all of these characters it feels like we're meeting them halfway through their journey but where we were talking about it with inside man where they they fill in with a lot of improv it was all so scripted because we are i felt like we were being forced to believe that this was a very serious movie that we have to take serious consideration for um and not just enjoy here we have did we have created this um feast please um if everyone seems so strict and has to adhere to these rules and that's part of the problem with time travel as a as a medium it's cause and effect and reaction reaction so improv it's kind of the bane of any time travel story, I guess, because, you know, you then get into, oh, well, you were destined to do that, so it's not really improv, blah, blah, blah. Um, but you never, they're never given any time to actually develop their own characters. And Kenneth Branagh, his his bad guy is, is what? Just a fortuitous guy that the people from the future set up to to be and now he's just going oh well if i can't if i can't have her no one will so I'm like, okay it's a bit of a cheat to get out of why you're gonna set off a fucking bomb um give me more yeah, as i sort of said i think uh it reminds me a little bit of um was it american hustle the david o russell film yes where- he said, I'm not interested in characters. I'm interested in, I can't remember the exact quote. Um, he, I remember the quote was, I'm not interested in characters. Yeah. And everybody wet their pants over that film about how amazing it was when I was bored shitless. Like, why should I care about what any of these horrible people do to each other? Mm-hmm. These wonderful big movie stars who are great actors. Why should I care about what they do yeah. when you haven't told me who they are? If I don't connect with the character... Why do I care about what happens to them? Exactly. Um, it'd be like trying to get me to care about the construction worker from Inside Man who knew it was Albanian. Like, I just met him. I know his wife's Albanian. Shit, man, that's probably more than I know about the protagonist. Yeah. He was in two minutes of screen time in Inside Man. And um, there's, there's the other, you know, there was at one point the protagonist gets onto Cat's case because of some fake art isn't isn't that how they get introduced yeah it's like isn't that the the, the shtick that like she sold kenneth branner a fake painting 
and that if she leaves him, he'll expose her for selling fakes. I think yeah. that was the thing. And that Keith David Washington tries to John David Washington tries to sell her another fake or something. It's very confusing. Yeah, it's like okay, what couldn't they have just met in a pub? <laughs> for for all it gives to the story, it's 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 useless. It's a waste of time. Um, because I would love to know, you know, the concept of a war in the future, which was started because people were sending shit back in time for their own agenda. That's that's HBO sci-fi fucking goals. You've got the parallel timelines, one in the future, one in the past, how they converge and so like feed one to another, etc., etc. That's grand storytelling that so many channels, Netflix, Amazon, Stan, all of these fucking services, they want that big narrative story over multiple episodes. This is primed for that. There's a lot of potential story here. We're just introduced to basically none of it it's it's disappointing because yeah. so much effort's gone into this and they got so much of it right mm. like the actual like there is a the big battle scene at the end again way at that point in time was out mm. i had given up i had no idea what was going on why anybody was doing anything or what was happening really for the mm. most part but from a choreography and from a filmmaking perspective, mm-hmm. it looked amazing. Oh, yeah. And to, to take a step back, there are basically during a battle, there are troops going into the battle with time Forward. going forwards and especially troops coming in with their time going backwards. Mm. So basically, you've got two different groups of soldiers moving in different directions in time. Yeah. That's an adding idea. I would love to see that done well. Mm. Um, and the actual actors who played the guys going backwards in time had to learn how to walk and run and move backwards. Yeah. At the same time. Yeah. There's so many. Or explosions going off all around them. Yeah. There's like reverse explosions. They're like, oh, they're just filming it backwards. So like, yes, but they also use it as a tactical thing as well. There's a moment where they're waiting for cover and you see this building that's been demolished and you think, oh, it's going to um, reform and go backwards and it's going to be okay. But no, they, they time it so that it's reformed and then it blows up again straight away. So it was always destined to be down at this point. It's like, that's really brilliant tactical understanding. And I would like going back to my TV episode, if they had an episode that's literally them just pl- planning this whole sequence through, that would be fucking brilliant. That would be awesome. I mean, so look, I, I, I was, like I said, I mean, if you're not taking it away yet, but I could say disappointed, very, very disappointed in this. I know a lot of people have gone, oh, I liked it, I enjoyed it, and I feel like they're saying that because they have to, because it's Christopher Nolan. Mm-hmm. I think this is getting a much bigger pass because it's Chris Nolan than and it would. Of COVID. Uh, well, that to a degree as well. We you have the first that. big movie that they see post post COVID, shall we say, mm. to be sort of like, oh yeah, the first movie I went back to the cinema, it was shit. Then we go, no, it was great. <laughs> yeah, gonna- I mean, people, I, I, the reviews I've read, people have gone, oh, you know, I've got my reservations and I couldn't understand what anybody was saying, but you know, I still liked it. I'm like, well, I don't believe them. <laughs> um, uh, I was seriously, seriously annoyed and frustrated by the end of this. It goes for two and a half hours, 
Mm. It's too long for as it is. Mm-hmm. And I feel like they've chucked, I, I bet they've cut hunks out of this. Like, I think that's why it feels so rushed. Mm. Stars. I think I think they cut that. I think it would be a three-and-a-half-hour version out there mm. on Chris Nolan's computer somewhere, and I wouldn't be surprised if we get HBO Max. You know, the extended version at some point in time. Oh, yeah. Um, so it's too long. Um, you could pull off that kind of story if, you know, um, I could follow what was going on and maybe it wouldn't have felt so long. But I was seriously annoyed and frustrated by the end that, mm. like, I, it was still going and I, it was, he just, and like, I feel like it's actually disrespectful to the audience from his perspective that, that I mean, I'm going to come back to it again, the dialogue thing. It's, if, mm. You can't tell a story of his complex if I can't understand what people are saying. Yeah. I don't care what you think about you should what you think with voice to be part of a soundtrack or what you, your theory about soundtrack should be. I'm paying my hard earned to come and see a movie. I need to understand what people are saying. If mm. or give me subtitles. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you, if you seriously don't think I need to understand the actual sound, uh, give me subtitles. I'll see foreign films. Mm-hmm. You know, you want it to be a silent film? Fantastic. You, you've got to have. If they had. Fucking subtitles as well. Hmm. So um, I, it's got a it's got a bigger pass. If this was by Martin Campbell or something, right? Like a, a, or Joe Nobody, they'd be keep sticking the boots into it. Oh, he wouldn't have got a two hundred million dollar budget, but they would be sticking the boots into it because it's you know they could. They just uh, I think it's getting a, a a easy an easier run from people because hmm. it's Chris Nolan um, and. You know, you, you can't, he's almost the golden boy. You can't criticize to some degree because everything else he's done today has been so fucking good. Mm. Um, I'm just quickly looking at, uh, um, right. So, interestingly, his four kind of sci fi modern set movies, shall we say, of Inception, Interstellar, and Tenet. Inception is sitting at a Metacritic score of 74. So is Interstellar. This is sitting at a 69. And for me, I think that Inception is the best of those three movies. And it's because it's got that espionage element that Chris Nolan very clearly likes. He injects that espionage element into so many of his movies. It's got uh, the action. It's got that highbrow concept of going into dream state. And in this... Uh, in Inception, it's really easily explained, and you just go for the ride. Um, Interstellar, he plays a bit more with the science, and it's like, okay, I'm still following along, but I'm having to work hard. In this, he pushes too far into, I want to dazzle you with my genius, and mm-hmm. it fails. It's the cardinal sin of movies. He kind of forgets the story, and... I think it's very telling that the Metacritic score has gone down, and I think rightly so. I think that this thing is Dunkirk has a 94, which is a much safer movie than those others you talked about there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm happy, like I said earlier, I'm really happy for him to make risky films. Mm. Um, I, I just hope he keeps making risky films, but what I want to happen here is I want him to take his lesson from this. Mm. Is don't disrespect your audience. Mm. You know, like there's a reason why people need to hear what's being said on screen. You know, like there's a reason people like John McClane. He's a character. We get to know him. We like him. We want to follow. You know, I know it's a cliche, mm. but, you know, there's a reason that shit works. Is that, you know, like we got to learn about Matthew McConaughey's character Interstellar. Mm. I thought that was a bit corny myself, but 
you know, it, it was nowhere near as annoying as this. We got to know uh, Leo DiCaprio's character, Hoyt, I think it was, or Hoyle or something. Uh, it's been a long time since I saw Inception. But we we, um, we actually Cobb. learned... Cobbs. Cobb. Cobb, sorry. Um, you know, we actually learned a little bit about what was going on. And at the end of the day, that was a really... What's well, a fascinating film because mm. he created this crazy world, but it made sense. Mm-hmm. And this one he's created in a crazy world, but unfortunately due to some very questionable uh, decisions from him... And his collaborators, this film doesn't make sense. It's a disappointment. It's not a worth a 69. Mm. It's not a, uh, it's not a, a, a what is it, a 7.8 using IMDb rating. Uh, I couldn't give it more than a six myself. Mm. Uh, look, that said though, one caveat mm. I will probably check this out when it's on streaming or on Blu ray. Mm. So I can watch it with the fucking subtitles. And you know what? Maybe it'll be a 20% better film if I can understand what people are saying. See, the, the thing that I I think, I've only watched it once, I think that it sets, um, like, Chris Nolan is generally pretty good at setting the rules for his movie universe and sticking to them. It's very rare or in only certain points that he breaks his own rules that he's established to, to tell the story he wants to tell. And I think that the overall rules of this, t- things going backwards um in the flow of time i don't think he breaks that certainly there was nothing that jumped out at me and went when cut no what what fuck off um and he is good at generally establishing these these universe rules and going yep this is the sandbox that i have created to tell my story it is complete and utter fiction but i am going to dress it up and the, the the world is going to adhere to these rules, and I do respect that. I do respect that. It is, like I said, it's um. There's so much promise in this, mm. and I feel like it's been let down by things that he absolutely didn't need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talked a little about it in the last one, right? Spike Lee wasn't doing anything outside the box in Inside yeah. Man. He was playing a pretty straight bat, but he did it really fucking well, mm-hmm. right? So you know. Don't walk before you can run. And we know Christopher Nolan can run. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes you forget, I think. So, like, he is trying to run so fucking fast, mm-hmm. he's forgotten all about walking. And mm. he, so he's overlooking all the simple, basic elements of a story he needed to get right before he could do the really um, re- the really ambitious stuff he wanted to do. Mm. So um, disappointing. Um, IMDb says his next film is a remake of Memento. I really hope that's not true. Um because um, I'd like to see him making new stuff. Why would he go back to that? I would. Oh, maybe just... it's, I mean, there's been you've been you've heard talk of it, right? Originally, apparently, it's maybe he's not going to direct it. So, but anyway, maybe, maybe. But yeah, I I would love to see him just. I I say this with so many directors go the Guillermo del Toro route and just go. Yep, I'm making my big movie, and then I'm making my little personal one. And Chris Nolan has. Up until recently, I think, up until this movie, he's generally been able to bake personal movies with a big fucking budget because he is that good at his talent. But I think that either he gets a producer on that is going to fight him every fucking step of the way and make make Chris Nolan go, okay, you've got some interesting points. I need to reevaluate this. And if he goes back and assesses it and goes, no, you're right, then he's willing to make those changes. But otherwise, I think he's surrounded himself with a group of people 
and um, act regular actors that he uses, as well as regular producers and production teams that go, yes, we know exactly how Chris likes it. We're not going to question anything. I wonder if the sound person is like going, I know this sounds shit, but it's what Chris wants. So, okay. Yeah. Um, which you, you have to imagine he's getting like, he got a two, like I said, he got $200 million to make this. Yeah. Like who else? Get, on like, on who, paper, it's a fucking awesome concept. And he yeah. needed someone much like the, the example I always give is the director's cut version versus the theatrical cut version of Donnie Darko. One of those is really good. One of them is really shit. And the shit one is the director's cut because the producers actually went, nope, that slows the movie down. We are not having a minute-long screen of heavy text that can barely be read intercut within this movie. That's stupid. Cut that out. Keep the story flowing. And it's going to be way more enjoyable. Simple. Uh, yeah, I, I agree entirely. Um but uh, disappointing. Should we move on to something that's a little bit the other end of a spectrum? Yeah, let's go. Let's go on to whatever is next. What is next? So I will be a little bit quicker on this one because I don't think it, it, um, it, it requires quite the same degree of deep dive as Tenet did. <laughs> but uh, I uh, saw the new Jared Butler movie. <laughs> going to be uh, landing on highbrows. It's going to be landing on Amazon Prime, I believe, in Australia. I got a access to an early copy through my contacts uh, in, the, in the industry, as I have many. Um, and um, this film is called Greenland. Uh, the synopsis is a little simpler. It's a little sneaking simpler than Tenet. Mm. A family struggles for survival in the face of a cataclysmic natural disaster. Now, okay. there are no backwards-in-time bullets in this film, fortunately. Uh, <laughs> essentially, it's 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 die hard on a planetary level. Um, <laughs> it's it's which is not surprising considering that's kind of been Jared Butler's jam now for the past years. Mm-hmm. Uh, ever since uh, was it Olympus has fallen when give yeah, it? Oh, Bruce Willis doesn't want to do it. I'll do it. Jared Butler will do it. He's done three of them now, and there's a fourth one coming. Um, I think it's going to be set in space. <laughs> I'm not joking. I, I know. Do, I'm pretty sure I read that somewhere. Like, um, so and Greenland, 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 Greenland. Yeah, here's the here's, here's the the synopsis. This isn't that bad. Uh, this was kind of a nice palate cleanser. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so it is set in the United States. Funnily enough. Jared Butler is separated from his wife and son. His wife is played by Marina Baccarin, uh, mm-hmm. um, probably best known for Deadpool these days. Mm-hmm. I always think of her from um, from Firefly and Serenity. But... Stop with the seeds, man. Stop with the seeds. <laughs> uh, she was also in the TV show V, which sucked. Um, and he, so he's separated from them. Um However, he is moving back in home, looking to move back home soon and sort of they are in the process of reconciling their, mm. their strange marriage. Against the backdrop of this is uh, a newly discovered comet, which is going to pass very close to the Earth um, and is given the, name, the dumbest name for a comet I think I've ever heard. His name is, sorry? Close, Clark. I'm not joking. The, the, the comet's name is Clark. 
I, I thought it was just a kid being annoying initially about no, it's called Clark. I think after Arthur C. Clark, right? Like, you know, the I was thinking maybe it's because of Clark Kent, Superman, Meteor coming in. I was thinking Clark Griswold, you know, like mm-hmm. that thing where he goes swimming. I think we're Griswold. thinking about it way more than any of the writers did. Yeah, maybe. So it's a dumb name for it for a comet, but this comet and you know, initially they're like, Oh, we're gonna get this great light show because it's gonna pass so close to the earth, you're gonna be able to see it during daylight hours. But of course, bump, bump, oh, the scientists are wrong, and it's actually going to pass much closer to Earth than they thought it was, and it's now going to actually impact. Mm-hmm. Initially, they're like, oh, it's just going to bounce off, it's going to burn up in the atmosphere, like, ah, oh, shit, no, actually, it's going to impact the Earth. That's all right, it's just a ding. <laughs> it'll, it'll buff out. Um, <laughs> it's still good, it's still good. Um, so... Very early on, after this is sort of a, we had, there was a scene where like all oh, these military jets are flying out over over the um, where they live, uh, and it turns out that uh, the government has been working on a series of bunkers to survive an event like this, and they are in two guesses. That's right, Australia, no Greenland. Um, that's why it's called Greenland. <gasps> Well, they tied it all together really well. A twist, you know. <laughs> wow. oh, oh. They thought of everything. Very clever writers. Um, so um, initially, um, Jared Butler, because he's an architect, because they're important, um, is chosen randomly to be on one of his transports to go to. <laughs> you know, just, just to go into this movie, I feel like I wouldn't trust it if I was like, oh, unknown, unknown number. Hello, you've been randomly selected to go to a bunker. Fuck off! <laughs> well, it's actually kind of cool. Like, it's actually the uh, the like, you know, it's like the um the the what do we call it? the defense civil defense thing? You know, like and like it pops up on the television, a television as well, which is a nifty little piece of technology. Um, right. and um, they are the only ones in their neighborhood who were chosen to go. They get in their car, they drive there, only to be told because their son has diabetes, they can't get on one of a plane because they won't take anyone who's sick, and chaos ensues at that point in time. As you can imagine, they are all separated and they need, you know, like Jerry Butler needs to, you know, find his wife and find his son and then find a way to get them to Greenland. He's like, I will get you there no matter what. Um, and, you know, there's all sorts of chaos going on, as one can imagine, you know, a sort of a impending apocalypse film, not a post-apocalyptic film because we don't really see much of a post. We see it's a pre-apocalyptic film. Uh, and, yeah, the world's going nuts and, and you know, um, shit's going to hell and you know he's trying to sort of navigate the the crazy world that's you near know, the world that's gone crazy and save his wife and kid and escape to these bunkers in um in um in greenland in amongst while some of the early sort of comet parts starting to impact mm-hmm. the uh, country the first place they wipe out is florida uh and there is widespread celebration at that fact um <laughs> throughout the world um <laughs> Um, so it, look, it's a pretty dumb movie, right? We've seen this movie before. I was joking, we were joking before we went on air that, um, not only is Jared Butler the man you get when Bruce Spiller says no, he's the man, the last man on the Rolodex before you call Nicolas Cage, mm. who we know will do anything. But this uh, kind of movie, this disaster movie, it's one, it's a genre that comes around every three to five years. You'll suddenly get a slew of different variations. We had, we went through the, surprising sudden volcanoes era we got the meteors we've had gone through like zombie things 
I don't forget to have a day after tomorrow. We've had the, the climate change ones. Yeah, yeah, 2011, all of that stuff. They're, they're the typical – this is what um, summer blockbuster cinema is designed for. For every year there's going to be – oh, yep, it's uh, – let me just throw a dart at the board. Poof. Ah, yeah, pre-apocalyptic movie. Uh, volcano zombies this year. Um, uh, they erupt. Um, it's, it's a volcano, but it erupts. Zombies. It writes itself. I would watch that. <laughs> I've probably done it. Um, but yeah, look, I mean, I, I'm making fun of this, and it is dumb. Um, the kids really annoying. Like all children are in disaster films. Like it would have been so much, so much cleaner if it just gone. Ah, oh, well, fuck it, man. We can have another one later. Um, <laughs> I was the kid that played young Danny in um, uh, Doctor Sleep. Okay, I haven't finished watching that yet. Um, he's, he's 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 annoying. Yeah, uh, yep. but mainly I think that that's kind of because he needs to be annoying for the plot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he needs to have the illness and yada yada yada. Um, interesting to see some some familiar faces pop up in um, in, in strange like places, like unnamed roles. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm trying to remember the actor's name. Holt McAlany. McAlany. He played the, the McCa- Holt McCallany. McCallany. He played the mechanic in um, in uh, Fight Club. Um, oh, okay. More recently, he was a co-star of Mindhunter, which uh, okay. unfortunately is not being made anymore. He just mm. plays a pilot. Um. Uh, anyway, so yeah, you see these little little, little roles of people like that popping up, but um. Other than Jared Butler, I don't think you'll you'll recognise a whole lot of other names in here. Look, mm. it was fun. Turn your brain off material, especially what exactly what I needed after Tenet uh, during the day was to come home and watch something big, dumb, and stupid. But mm-hmm. had a lot of cool explosions in it. Fair enough. Um, I, I mean, you know what you're going to get with a Jared Butler film, really, don't you? I mean, it's mm-hmm. not going to be challenging, but this is this is passable, right? This is this is fine. Yeah. Oh, this is better than Unhinged, which I talked about a week or two ago. Okay. All right. Cool. Well, I'm just going to quickly talk about a couple of games that I finished on Xbox Game Pass. And they are all much older games, but I finally got around to finishing them. Um, I finished uh, Titanfall 2 because EA Play is now available as part of Xbox uh, Game Pass Ultimate, uh, which is nice. You Get, there's a couple of good, uh, good quality games on there, such as Titanfall 2. Um, you do also get access to Star Wars uh, Jedi Fallen Order. And I'll tell you something. Titanfall 2 is uh, a product of Respawn Entertainment. And Respawn did a phenomenal job on Titanfall 2. It was awesome. It was a really good story, really compelling, just moving around, um, being the pilot, and then jumping into these big Titans. It feels fucking cool. And I finished that game. It was an emotional ending because of the relationship you build up with with your Titan throughout the game. It was awesome. Um, And I thought, okay, that company went on to do Jedi Fallen Order. And that's been getting very good reviews. So I'll give it a go. It's getting a pass by so many people because it's the best Star Wars game in years, which isn't saying much. It's a very low bar. Yeah. And unfortunately, 
it's kind of trashy it's very basic it the story i'm only four or five hours into the game but it's very much none of the story is actually consequential to the the narrative of um star wars it's not really trying to tell its own story it kind of feels like a flick book of oh you've heard about this um planet you've heard about these things if you've been gone into the canon you might know about um uh dathomir planet and oh look those guys are kind they're they're the same species as darth maul was um oh and it's kind of like that's cool that's cool but the action this it's trying to be like jedi academy where you're slowly but surely relearning because you are a padawan of a, of a jedi um relearning all these different abilities and you've got kind of slow time push you can run along walls and things like that and none of it feels empowering and the running on walls it's awful when compared to this is the same company this is the same studio that made it so fucking powerful and amazing to do in titanfall 2 and it just doesn't feel good here and the the story is kind of like all right this is just basically a bunch of fetch quests in relatively pretty environment i've got a new 4k tv so it's on on the xbox uh xbox one x and it's pumping out as good a graphics as it possibly can at this point really and it's just like okay this looks like every other game and it's eh. i'm very disenfranchised with star wars i've made no no it's not i've not made that a secret um but this is kind of like all right this is a very good hail mary we need to produce a narrative based star wars game because no one likes the fact that we're making star wars battlefront uh, battlegrounds and all of that stuff just online let's do a story a narrative story and the one that everyone was really interested in by the creator of un, um, uncharted games that died in and has gone nowhere so this came out and it's like okay they canned that one yeah and the the early the early footage of that game looked awesome and this the opening like the the tutorial level where you're playing um the character i think his name's cam or something you're going around and you're learning how to maneuver around it's actually pretty good and in that opening there's this cool sequence where you're kind of sliding down the side of um a fallen death uh, star destroyer or something like that but then they use that fucking sliding thing about a thousand times in every goddamn level it's like okay just boring get the fuck on with it give me something else put me on a speeder do something don't just slide me down like i'm fucking come on do something new it's boring um so it's really disappointing titanfall 2 phenomenal and, and titanfall 2 i think titanfall 3 became apex legends no that's a different company no it's the same mob respawn entertainment did i'm certain they had something to do with apex legends they were going to make a titanfall 3 no one played titanfall 2 so they went on to make um i'm sure that they had something to do with apex legends I'm sure i read that maybe but um you tell me i'm wrong people uh, it happens oh yeah the, yeah no respawn yeah they did apex legends but that's um, why it was such a big deal when they got to do the star wars game we were like 
hey, they fucking nailed Apex Legends. If you like mm. Battle Royale shit, they did really nicely on that. They kind of changed the game up a little bit with that one. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it's disappointing to hear. I saw some people playing mm. uh, on Twitch of um, the Fallen Order, and it looked, but the combat looked really annoying. Yeah. It's, Dark Souls-esque. You can't... Uh, as you develop as a character in any character as you unlock new abilities new powers you should you should feel more and more powerful and more godlike and really impressive and especially when you are building up a character to be a fucking jedi you want to feel fucking powerful and you want to be able to just destroy um stormtroopers and it's boring it's boring it's like oh um i can knock back a laser and and shoot and kill the the stormtrooper yeah i don't care it's boring and it makes combat really easy and the way that you duel and parry it's not well done it's it's trashy it's very basic and it's more cumbersome than it needs to be that's all i'll say on that I will just quickly go on to Gears of War 5 or hashtag Gears 5. This is awesome. It's great mm. fun. It's overlong, but it's actually, I really enjoyed it. Like, I didn't play Gears 1, 2, or 3. Um, and so I joined with when the Coalition, um, I think it's the Coalition, is the new studio that took over um, from Gears 4 and Gears 5. And I've, I guess, grown up with um, the new characters rather than Marcus Phoenix being the main character. And I actually really enjoy it, particularly because of um, Kate Diaz, the character voiced by the love of everyone in D&D's life, Laura Bailey. Um, she does a really good job of building these characters up. I'm, I feel very invested. The gunplay is really good fun. That cut, uh, duck and cover. Um, and fuck does it look good holy shit is it good there are only a couple of places where they are putting so much fucking shit on the screen at once like you're going through this desert um on this um like a like wind powered skidoo kind of thing and there's like winds coming down lightning bolts um glass being blown up into the sky and becoming crystallized it looks awesome and it feels intense and the sound design is really good and it just feels amazing and it's ticking along great and then um you'll go through these jungle areas and it's like oh it's a little sluggish here because it's really fucking trying to stay at 4k Whew, but it it just looks good it's not trying to do anything particularly new or innovative it's just trying to do what it knows it wants to do very well and i really appreciate that so a bit of a shame. I've only played one of those games before, and I absolutely hated it. Um, that was the first one. So, mm. um, and this is on is this on um, Xbox? Um, so, um, Game Pass. So, if I have time, I might download it and have a go because, like I said, hated it. Hated it the first one. Like it was so boring, uh, and it's like not my kind of game at all. But like, like given credit, and maybe. They've come away since then, you know? That was a while ago. Um, I have since gone back and tried playing because they did a remaster of Gears of War 1 with much prettier graphics, and it does look a lot prettier. But 
it was from it was still you can still feel that it's designed from a different time where it kind of feels cartoony the the movements and the actions and there's kind of a bit of that bro kind of bro wars kind of attitude to it so it's not as good whereas uh well I don't think it's as good. There are a lot of people who really love the original trilogy. Yeah, well, uh, very popular. And I just couldn't get it at the time. I remember like, everyone was losing their shit. Yeah. But I'm like, I'm sorry. This is awful. I'm not enjoying this at all. But then again, I do have a reputation, don't I? Because like, I am a, a miserly curmudgeon when it comes to games that don't like, but everybody else seems to really, really enjoy. We have the curmudgeon and the contrarian. <laughs> but um, I recommend, recommend at least checking all of those out because they are all, if you are on Game Pass, if you're on Ultimate, you can just download them. Um, uh, there's not actually too much on EA Play that I would particularly recommend because I'm not much of a sports guy. I'm not going to play FIFA. I'm not going to play NFL. I'm not going to do golf. Um, th- other than that, there's not much available on in the EA Vault. But it's nice to have Titanfall 2 there. It, I guess maybe it might be worth going back and seeing what Anthem's like now. But who knows? Um, it would be nice if they actually introduce um, some of the Knights of the Old Republic games, maybe. That would be nice, yeah. And the Mass Effect stuff. But the fact that they're getting remastered, they're probably not going to be on the vault because EA makes you pay for fucking games. They to sell it to you again. Um, but yeah there's there's loads of options out there with these streaming services it's a great value and the fact that you can just download it it's not going to cost you any extra and if you don't like it delete it simple um it's a it's a great opportunity to try some things that you like like me i didn't get them original will go around it's nice to get get to them now no, I mean, it's a bit like um, No Man's Sky, which I talked about earlier in the year. Mm-hmm. I just remember the fuss when that came out and everybody was like, ah, oh, it sucks. And, you know, I saw it on Game Pass, downloaded it, and they've done quite a bit to it in the preceding couple of years. And it's yeah. it's it's not perfect by any stretch of imagination, but it was a fun little game. Mm. Yeah. Not little anyway. It's huge, fun, huge game. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's that's, I think, it'd be... And interestingly, a friend of mine told me today but uh, xCloud has trial launched for trial in Australia today. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That'd so you aren't aware xCloud basically allows you to play your Xbox games on your phone anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think, um, I mean, we've seen in the last week the fuss about PlayStation launched, I think, and the Xbox Series X have launched. Mm-hmm. Someone's got to give better at Microsoft about naming these things. They are terrible. <laughs> But um, they've sold out everywhere, both for machines. I think I read somewhere they both had – I know Xbox had its best launch ever. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't mind betting a PlayStation was up there as well because you can't get your hands on these things. They are mm-hmm. like Basically uh, everywhere saying, oh, we're probably not going to get stock until April or later next year. Other people going, how can we're going to get one for Christmas? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Um, <laughs> I don't count your tickets. It's getting to enjoy their PlayStation for. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know – whether or not you know they're worth buying that's your call uh you know i don't see a great advantage to buying a series x just yet but i think it's interesting that they are taking we've talked before we're taking two different paths here like playstation has the early lead and they've got the better games coming out on the new platform but you know if um you know in 18 months time you're on a train and i can play the new uh halo or fallout on my phone 
one. And you got to wait till you get home to play Spider Man. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's yeah. uh, that's something it starts to really turn the tide because I don't know if it plays that. Maybe I'm sure Sony's working on something, but from what I hear, they're not anywhere near where where mm-hmm. Microsoft is on 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 that front. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see how it develops as well because if it becomes a success. Could we see Microsoft and Nintendo have been playing very friendly the last last few years with games coming out on both systems and then being very buddy-buddy and persistent rumors that uh, Master Chief is going to be appearing in Super Smash Brothers as a guest character and things like that. And, and um, that is really Microsoft's space right now is mobile, right? Like they were a year or two ahead of these guys. Mm, the it'll they- be interesting to see if xCloud comes to Nintendo Switch. I mean, you know... Who knows? Like we'll see what happens. Nintendo, you know, they historically they play by their own rules. <laughs> play by their own rules. But I mean, like it's an exciting idea for if if all of a sudden you could play Breath of the Wild via XCloud because I imagine Microsoft would make them use their hardware. But if you get access to your Nintendo library via your XCloud account or your Xbox account, that changes everything i don't think uh, i don't think that's going to happen but it's some that level of cooperation it's it's kind of the next step i mean when um like minecraft the like last year i think it was there was an update that it was so that everyone could just play together for uh, across microsoft nintendo and playstation uh but playstation one was being difficult and you could kind of cross play between microsoft and nintendo and they were saying play together they were really putting this partnership thing obviously that was a reaction to the fact that playstation enhanced microsoft for the last generation sales wise and microsoft needed to just go all right everything else is fucking up we need to be pro consumer so badly and that's interesting that sony is kind of the stick in the mud when it comes to cross-platform players i understand it they won't come to a party and they probably won't come to a party because once that's really the only space xbox has left to play in yeah um, they have a better game if they've got a hundred million PlayStation fours out in the wild, why do they need to? They don't need to open up to let everyone else in. It's like, exactly. Why should you do what your consumers want you to do? Because fucking Sony playing fanboys will buy you a shit anyway. Like I would think, yeah, if, if if I would love to play, you know, across platform with with my friends who own PlayStations, but you know, um, Sony is that they will not open that door because that's the one place they can't compete with X, with Microsoft in. Um, and it's probably a smart business move not to go there, but um, I'm excited to see what xCloud can do. Um, I, I'm not really a big mobile gamer because I don't go anywhere anymore. Well, not right now, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Who goes places? Who gets to see 2019? Um, but you know, it, in the longer run, right, it'll be it'll be amazing um, to be able to anywhere you've got Wi-Fi. Just you know, I don't need that huge box anymore. Mm-hmm. But let's change subject again. We've done movies. We've done um, games. Let's go to music. Music. Let's talk about ACDC. Yeah. So um, one of the few bright lights uh, of 2020 so far has been the release of the new Guns and uh, sorry, Guns N' Roses. Guns N' Roses. Axl Rose was the singer for uh, ACDC for a little while mm-hmm. um, recently. 
uh, the first new ACDC record in six years um, since Rock or Bust. We have Power Up. Uh-huh. Uh, came out last Friday, I believe. We had the single Shot in the Dark um, probably a month or so ago now, I think. Um, and uh, this is the classic lineup. Well, we, uh-huh. we're more than the classic, the, the most memorable lineup. Oh, yeah, minus Malcolm Young, of course, because he's uh-huh. dead. Um, but uh, we have um, uh, Bruce Johnson uh, back on um, vocals again. We Angus, obviously, lead guitar. Phil Rudd playing um, drums. Stevie, uh, who is Mal- Stevie Young, who is Malcolm Young's nephew, um, playing rhythm guitar. And I should really remember the bass player's name, but it escapes me. He doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> I think he would think he matters. I'm sure his bank account matters. Um, but he, you know, he is yeah, the guy who's been playing bass for them for a very long time. Um, so this is the you know, your classic, largely the classic lineup. So as I said, for for a while, for years there, Axel Rose had been doing vocals. Mm. Brian Johnson, I say Bruce. Brian Johnson actually had to retire because of hearing problems for a little while. Mm. I don't know what's happened in the meantime, but apparently he's back in and he's doing vocals here because. Uh, I, I don't know. I still heard Axel do some vocals for them sometimes. I would have been curious to see it, but I'm like, mm, nah, not quite. Um, now, I, I like the, the interesting thing about this record is the songs are still being credited to Angus and Malcolm Young. So, okay. by the fact, Malcolm has passed away a couple of years ago, I think, and he actually had been out of the band for a little while before that because he had been suffering for, of suffering dementia. Hmm. Um, and. However, from what I understand, the word on the street is he left a lot of uh, unrecorded material over the years and ideas and riffs and stuff, uh, almost a box of riffs I've heard it called, um, <laughs> which the band have basically taken stuff that he's done in the past and then you know worked it into this record. Mm-hmm. Um, I quite like it. Now, um, I am not a massive ACDC fan. I actually don't know if I ever bought any of their records, but you've got to respect what they've done. And I find them, you know, uh, a fascinating band to look into because they are such an influential group. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. This, if there's a criticism of ACDC, it is that they sound the same every so They've been making the same record for 40 yeah. years now. Yeah. Uh, if you no, like ACDC, you're probably gonna like every single thing that they have ever done because it all sounds kind of in the same ballpark there was a little bit of stuff on this record though that's a little bit different for them um through the mists of time is a very different sounding song to what most acdc songs sound like uh now uh i don't know are you have you been traditionally much of a fan at all um I've always enjoyed some of their stuff, like, you know, the classics that come out, Thunderstruck, uh, Back in Black. Um, there's there's always a kind of tokens, but I've, I don't think I've ever bought an album before. Um, downloading Power Up, that's the first time I've listened all the way through an ACDC album. And about halfway through, I was like, oh, I really want to change a CD because this is a lot of ACDC right now. I feel like they're, they're a great, band and they do great music to put on a mixtape and have two or three songs peppered through just to kind of pop it up and liven it up again and even their new stuff it sounds and feels like it it tugs on that familiarity for me so it's it's nice to have as a highlight thing rather than just 
yep, I'm going to listen to the whole album, no breaks. Um, if it's a fair criticism, as I said, it, it does, they are a band who have a sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they do stick to it fairly consistently. And I think I think there's a little bit more variation in this record than the last couple, Rocker Bust or Black Ice, I think, of the last two records. And both of them, I feel like, were more samey <laughs> than this one. Um, but it doesn't mean they do veer off course. Mm. They, they don't go far off course, I think it's fair to say. There's no, there's no power ballad on this yeah. record, right? Like, you know, <laughs> I'd love to, you know, there's no When I See You Smile or something like that or Patience, like by the Guns N' Roses song, you know. Um, they, they don't suddenly go, you know what? We need to really try doing some techno. Yeah, awesome. I listen to this song a cappella, right? Like, <laughs> uh, you know, that would be interesting. Uh, or let's do a cover, you know, or something like that. It's 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 basically ACDC flavor, right? And that's it. You can have any flavor you want as long as it's chocolate. Um, <laughs> that's that's kind of what you get from ACDC. I think you nailed it, right? If you like ACDC, you're probably going to like this record quite a bit. Um, it's just them doing what they do at a very high level, I think. This is a great mm-hmm. record for a bunch of guys in their 70s. Yeah. Um, and but if you said if you're not a fan, you might find it a little bit of a stretch, yeah. Because as you've pointed out, it's kind of one speed. That's kind of that speed is very good. Uh, for, for I would say for a rock and roll fan, especially for an old school rock and roll fan, because it's a very bluesy rock, which is their sound. Mm, mm. Uh, you know, everyone knows, should honestly, if you don't know ACDC sound, then where have you been hiding? Right? I mean, yeah. Black and Black, I think, might be the highest-selling rock and roll album of all time. Certainly one of them. And and the fact fact that it was so heavily featured as part of Tony Stark's character in the Marvel movies as well. It's like, come on. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, even before that, right? Like, I mean, it sold like hundreds of millions of copies. Yeah. So, I mean, this is not back in black. It's not that Mm. good. But it doesn't veer far from the sound. If you've heard that, if, if we picked up somebody from 1980, who had just bought, I mean, listening to Back in Black for a week after it came out, plonked him down in 2020. That would be a very cruel thing to do, by the way. But, um, <laughs> and then, you know, gave him a copy of, uh, of um, Power, uh, Power Up. Up and had them listen to it. I, you know, if, yeah, I don't think they would see a great departure from one to no. the other. Yeah. Um, I like it. I think there's some good tracks in here. I think Realize is a really good song. I think that's the first track. And I think that one's probably going to maybe. You might hear that one around potentially as a single, as they say. They still release singles. I don't know. <laughs> Through the Mist of Time, as I said, yep. um, is a sort of a change-up for them. Uh, not a massive change-up. As I said, it's not an acapella love song or anything like that, but mm-hmm. it, it is a different-ish sort of sound. It does change the pace of the record a little bit. I don't know that I lo- I'm still trying to make my mind up whether I like it, but I like that they're trying different stuff at mm-hmm. their age. Um, yeah. And it fits in well with the rest of a record. And I think Shot in the Dark is a lot of fun as a, yeah. as a lead single as Agreed. well. So if you enjoy it, as we said, if you're a fan, you probably already listened to it, you'll probably like it. If you're not a fan, eh, yeah. if you know you're not a fan, mm-hmm. you're probably not going to get a great deal out of it. If you're if you're undecided, try Black It Back in Black first. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Go to the classic world. Yeah, this is not this is not that record, but you know, and if you like Back in Black, come back and check the power up. I am glad to see them still making music. 
they are the one band who are on my kill to see them list because I've never had a chance to see ACDC. The last time they were here, the last two times they were here, well, one time I was in Japan, and before that I had literally had no money and they were charging like $200 a ticket. So um, so I'm, I'm hoping that they do one last tour, but, you know, COVID might have something to say about that. Now, Travis, question, which you want to hear? Highway to Hell or You Shook Me All Night Long? Which one's my better song? Which one do you want to hear right now? Probably You Shook Me All Night Long. Okay. We I don't are know what I'm getting myself into here. This is... You will hear it in just a second. An acapella version. Okay. Uh, well, I think you hit There's a... Oh, shut up. I assume it's on YouTube. Yeah, it's on YouTube, yeah. And it's just actually not them. It's by a, a group called Human Nature. Um, and a they group do a called lot Human Nature? You say that like you don't know who that is. I don't. Oh, my Lord. Human Nature. They are exceedingly well-known in this country. Okay. All right. They, well. they, they were like, they were... The uh, our uh, our foray into nineties boy bands um, with Human Nature. I don't know. They I'm supported Michael Jackson on his uh, tour here in nineteen ninety five, and they have made a very big name for themselves in Las Vegas now. Like they they make all the monies playing to old people in Las Vegas. I, I doubt they cover that in their their show, but no, Human Nature are very famous. Fair um, enough. I guess I got and this is somebody called. The Beatles or something. I'm not really sure. It's a new group, I imagine. Um, I'm not that bad. Shut up. <laughs> Can I make a suggestion for next week, though? I yeah. have a suggestion for you because okay. I did my homework and I listened to Pucifer's new album. Oh, And yes. I really liked it. Mm. And it, uh, it definitely gave me um, memories of a band that I enjoy that I don't know whether you've listened to. It's called The Knife. They mm. like a dubstep band? No. Um, they've got that kind of experimental sound that Pucifer have. They go a little bit more into, I guess you'd kind of say, like a techno kind of thing, but not really. Um, but I think if you if you really like their uh, Pucifer's uh, latest album, I think you might at least find it interesting. Is there a record of these in particular you'd recommend? Uh, the album is called Silent Shout. Uh, oh, I think it. that might be... No, that is the album. Yeah, it's called Silent Shout. Yeah. And um, I got onto these guys because they did um, a song that got used in the trailer for a movie, I think back in 2006, um, directed by Shane Acker. And it's an animated movie with the voice talent of Christopher Plummer, bringing it back into our Chain Movies connection called Nine. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and there was, uh, one of the trailers had one of their, their songs in it. Um, so I think the, the song of that was particularly called The Captain. So I, I'd say give that a try. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll take on that one. And 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 uh, for, for you, if you feel like something new, because uh -huh. there's been another big release from a classic rock icon. I'm not movie. listening to Human Nature. I wouldn't do that to you. I, and, <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I didn't like Human Nature. I should know. I just remember they were very, very, very well known. 
Um, <laughs> but uh, the the artist I'm talking about is Bruce Springsteen. His new record dropped Ooh, uh, okay. about a month ago now, and I did not know this until someone pointed it out to me last night. Uh, but he had a new, a new record called Letter to You. Um, and I've had a, I don't know if you're a fan or you've listened to him much at all. I, don't know. But, um, I am a big fan of him. And again, he's someone else who I, I, I've never seen, but I would love to. Um, he said if, if, if Donald Trump won the election, he was moving here. So um, I guess that would have been the one positive about happening. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I would love to, I, I would love to see Bruce, but uh, I've never had the, never had the money when he's here. And he, Mm-hmm. Anyway, I had a quick listen to it last night, and it's very good. So I would be interested to hear your opinions. I am downloading it now, and I will listen to it for next week. Yeah, and he he should definitely move here because he would fit in so well with the name Bruce. Indeed, he would, uh, and he, he comes here quite regularly. He's been here a number of times in recent years. It's just that I, I was poor at the time. Mm-hmm. No, that's fair enough. Well, on that note, ladies and gentlemen, I think we've come to the end of our show. We um, talked about Inside Man as our chain movie following Christopher Plummer from Star Trek The Undiscovered Country. Next week, we will be continuing on uh, the Spike Lee joint train to Black Klansman. Um, we both talked about Tenet and how it was rather disappointing for Christopher Nolan, and he needs he needs a, a little bit of a mea culpa for his uh, next movie, I think. Um, Travis uh, experienced Gerard Butler in all his, I'm sure it was a dirty white shirt that he wore on top in Greenland. Um, I talked about a couple of my Game Pass games of Titanfall 2, uh, Gears 5, and Jedi Fallen Order. We reviewed a little bit of ACDC's Power Up. And next week, Travis will be listening to The Knife. I will be listening to Bruce Springsteen's new album, as well as whatever else fills up our time, which is probably going to be a lot of sleep for me. <laughs> we can only hope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Help me, Valium. You're my only hope. <laughs> Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Please, we uh, please follow us on all of our social medias and all of that stuff. Um, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or general random thoughts that you might want to get heard on the internet or at a later date on podcast services around the globe, let us know. We want to hear from you. Until next time, good night. Good night. <laughs>